Hello, and welcome to the Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast, a show for people who want to take their personal training businesses and fitness coaching skills to the next level. Team Alloy has been in the personal training business since 1992 and share their insights from working with businesses and brands around the world. Listen in for secrets and tips on running a successful fitness business from personal training, marketing, staff management, scaling your business, and everything in between. If you are interested in having your own personal training business, our systems are well-developed, and we are focusing on very discrete segments which we think are the secrets to success. Now, let's get started with our host. Hello, Matt. What's cracking? Hey, Rick. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. A little uh, little post-podcast humor there that we'll probably leave off for everyone's sake. That little glitch of me just staring in his face, yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. Right. Uh, that happens every now and then, you guys. So listen, I'm excited about today because uh, I get to interview you a bit. So we're going to flip the tables. I know. Oh, well, you know, I probably will do a lot of talking. If you anybody knows me, they know I can't keep my pie yeah, hole closed. But pretty much. I'm excited. And we're going to talk about <laughs> the reason we're flipping the script, you guys, and the reason that we're talking to Matt is that we're going to talk about program design. And so when you look at uh, what Matt does for Alloy, he's essentially writing programs, putting together programming for, you know, thousands and thousands of people worldwide. If you think of a couple thousand gyms that we're working with, you know, if each gym has a couple hundred members, it's simple math. That's a lot of people doing programs that essentially we practice here at the club, but that you put together and through feedback from the coaches, assimilate them in a way that takes really high level science and makes it applicable to what we're calling active aging or just the everyday adult athlete, if you will, or someone mm-hmm. who, you know, just your office worker that comes in three days a week. And that's no small feat. You and I tend to think it is because we've been doing it for a while, especially you, you know, like, Hey, this is really easy. Everyone gets this, but I don't think that's true. And so it'll be fun to sort of pick your brain today about what our thoughts are, what you've seen, you know, what scales, what doesn't that type of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, this all came from you. You taught me how to uh, build these programs. So can't say <laughs> that it's all you me, far but surpassed me the since uh, then. alloy training system, or we kind of more like to call it a philosophy now is, right. uh, is pretty cool. And it, it you show me uh, kind of how you put these things together and we've just kind of grown over the years and done a lot of different things. Some didn't work, some have worked. And I feel like we've uh, <laughs> buttoned it down pretty good right now. So I agree. And so let's talk about it today through we were discussing and laughing about you know, silly names for today's topic, but I like, you know, we'll talk about rules and tools. Yeah. And so the rules are what you were just saying. So I think programming is not as complicated as people make it out to be. If you just have some basic rules around how you program. Mm-hmm. So at a high level, let's just start that conversation. You know, what are some rules that alloy believes in or that we adhere to when we, when we're busting out programs for adults? Yeah. I mean, for adults, I mean, we're talking active aging, people with limited time. I mean, the first thing that um, comes really out is we're going to do total body training. We're going to give them everything they need every time they walk in the door. Um, and that's been proven to be great for fat loss, strength, and all the above. And really it's in place for them because they don't have as much time. They can't do body part splits and things like that with their schedules. Yeah. Great point. And I, I know that it always it's always perplexing when you go to a different facility or maybe you see somebody that you clearly, when you look at them, you, you think that they, they more than likely have a fat loss goal. 
you can tell maybe just based on the way they move or sort of their uneasiness around the exercises that they're a brand new client. And you might observe someone like that in a different facility and they're clearly doing in their time period with their coach, like an arm day Mm -hmm. as an example. I never really understood that. And I'm not here to like throw shade on trainers and say they all suck. I don't think that's true at all. You can go to commercial gyms and see trainers doing amazing things. So let's not go there. But when I see something like that, I just don't understand why you would do that. If someone has two days a week to work with you, you have between 30 minutes and an hour, depending on how you're selling training, you know, you really don't have time to just do an arm day. The overall expenditure of just working those small muscles is not high. The bang for your buck is so low. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to get your heart rate up. I think to your point, when you have somebody a couple days a week and that's all you're getting them, time being the biggest restriction, you're going to have to handle everything. And so that everything kind of follows the construct of our workout. So tell me your thoughts on that. Like when somebody comes in, you know, the way that we lay things out is to handle all the different aspects of their fitness. Right. right. I mean, we start out literally um, with some kind of dynamic warm-up, movement quality. Well, what does that mean exactly? And I think a lot of the listeners that are in fitness, they're going to understand that. But if somebody else is listening, what is a dynamic warm-up? It's going to start with some stability kind of work. We're going to do some tissue work, getting that loosened up. We're going to work into some mobility kind of range of motion stuff. As you know, most of us are, we're really tightening our hips, really tightening our upper back. We're going to really hit those spots hard. Uh, and then we're going to do some core temperature, kind of wake up your nervous system kind of stuff. So right. you're ready to go for the workouts. And when you use, I know for us, when we use a, we use the functional movement screen and like it, not like it, whatever, at least it's a, a tangible way to measure movement. But when you have any tangible technique, whether you're using the NASM overhead squat only, or, you know, one of these other, any, any tests that you come up with, um, you're going to see in a sitting centric society some commonalities, which is what you spoke to. Mm-hmm. So the way that you design our warmups is based on the things that you said, right? It's the movement deficiencies that we typically see from adults that sit all the time that come in and have two days a week to work out. It's like, well, what's wrong with them? Well, they typically have tight hips, right? Yep. So they don't have great hip mobility. They have a weak core and tight, you know, their upper back, their T-spine mobility is not great. And when you really start to break all this down, it's, you can run down so many rabbit holes for why all that's happening. But all I'll say, and I know this is how you program, is that all that stuff is on a continuum. Case in point, if your core is weak and you can't stabilize your spine with your core, you have to get that stabilization from somewhere. So in some ways, a weakness in the core can cause you know, too much tension in the hips, mm-hmm. right? It could just be that your hips are tight, but it also could be that your core is weak, right? So when you look at a good dynamic warm-up and even good programming overall, the reason we treat most things with a global approach is if you start running down all these rabbit holes, right, you're basically from a customer experience perspective, you're putting them into sort of rehab. There's too much prehab work. Right. You know, I was at a club recently, I was out of town and there was, you know, a coach in there and he had a workbook open and he was working on some fascial stuff, right? But he had a client come in, a paying client. She was overweight and she was um, there for fat loss goals because I could her talking about her diet or mm-hmm. whatnot. And she was there for 30 minutes and for about 15 to 20 minutes of the session, 
they were using, you know, the stick that has the curve in it, yep. right? With the, the mm-hmm. handles. It's basically a, a you know trigger point stick or what have you. Yep. And they were using it in just ways I hadn't seen, like on their necks, right? Which I, I, know, I know it sounds funny, <laughs> but yeah, so sitting on the floor, you and I are facing each other. You know, I'm the client that's out of shape. You're guiding me. And I don't know, we're doing some lymph release or something. And you're pressing this just thing. Jabbing your neck. <laughs> Not repeatedly. It was gentle. <laughs> it was just a press into the neck. You're holding the handle and you're just pressing this thing into your neck. Right. And then there was like lying on your back and you're like pressing it into your solar plexus. I'm sure somewhere in that workbook, there were some really high level reasons why you should do that. But what I observed was this client was there for fat loss. I heard her speaking about nutrition and fat loss schools. Mm-hmm. And she spent half of her time, it was a 30 minute session, lying on the floor, pressing a, you know, massage stick into her neck. So I'm not sure like ultimately what was going on, but just from a crop duster height, which may not be a fair way to judge it, it looked like a waste of time other, unless she had some lymph issues with her neck or something. And she may have, and yeah. she may have, I'm just saying that would be one example of like, listen, just build the dynamic warm up based on the way people move. But like you do have to get people up and moving. Right. So what are your thoughts? So we, so we have dynamic warm up, right. And then we know we try to keep people on their feet and keep them moving. What's mm-hmm. the, what do you think that has to do with what's your thoughts on client perception? Like do I have to get a hard workout, like hot and sweaty, you know, which we know full body training can give them. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, everybody wants to walk out of there like they feel like they did something. So doing a bunch of corrective work and just stretching probably isn't going to do that. <laughs> right. And that's why we uh, we move from a dynamic warm-up or on our feet, moving around, get your heart rate up, and we're moving into more what we call functional strength training. As you'll see, you'll come to our facilities, you won't see any uh, machines or anything lying around. We are on your feet the whole time. Which is, I mean, again – Case in point, if you're a sitting-centric society, mm-hmm. where should most of your exercises happen? On right. your feet, right? Yeah. Last thing we want to do, go sit down some more and right. do some curls in the machine. Sit at the desk all day, and then I sit in my car in traffic to come to the gym to sit down to exercise. Yeah, so and then our, our functional strength training segment is literally we train movement patterns with big rock movements, right? So, so we do. Let's stop, let me stop you there before you go on. So All right. You know, there's a lot of cliche sayings in the industry that we get a chuckle at. Like, we don't train muscles, we train movements. Well, I mean, muscles are involved, but right. but I, I get where people are going with that. So when you say patterns, just list out the patterns that were – and this goes back to rules, right? So when, we're, when you're building programs, you're basically putting blocks into segments or buckets, right? Mm-hmm. So explain what those buckets are. Yeah, so, I mean, basically, we all move the same way, right? Nobody – moves differently from one another. We may have deficiencies and we may have issues that we have to work around, which we'll get to that, but we all push, we all need to pull, we all need to go off knee dominant movement and we all need to do hip dominant movements. And there's vertical pushing and pulling mixed in there. But in a total body approach, if we hit all those every single time, you're going to get much better results. You're going to get a consistent workout. Um, you're not going to be missing any of those gaps. And a balance as well. Yeah. Right? A balanced approach. So it's Pushing and pulling for upper body, mm-hmm. lower body. I mean, you could really say push pull for lower body, right? Yeah, but it's just confusing. Could, so sure. we say what a hip hinge or hip dominant, yep. which would be like a deadlift, right? Yep. And then as a basic movement for that pattern, and then a knee dominant, which the basic pattern would be a squat or you know, changing mm-hmm. elevation with your hips, basically, which could step up could fit into that Bulgarian split squats, things yep. like that. Yep. So, and so when you're doing that, when you're putting exercises into these blocks, right? You obviously, we have different varying levels of clients as do our listeners. Sure. So how do you account for those rules, right? Push, pull, hip, knee, that's always going to happen. So that's four patterns Mm -hmm. that have to be 
ticked in every workout, yep. but they have to be applied at the right level and the volume and all that. So how do we account for that? Well, I mean, first off, total body training um, is also beneficial because you're not going to get killed with volume as much as you would have a yeah, split. So that point. is good. The way it's set up, I mean, obviously we've done a full evaluation before these people come in. So we know their fitness level. We know their injuries, kind of know all that. So that coach is already prepared. And then we simply insert them into our workouts where they should be. So say a push-up, for example, would be in the push category, obviously. <laughs> we have uh, different levels for that. So if you're very advanced, you know, Mr. Rick Mayo or Marky Mark, whatever you're calling yourself these days, you could do a high-level, you know, resisted push-up. All the way to a lower-end beginner climb, we do an elevated push-up. And it's all set up. Our workouts are written in a way where it's easy for that coach just to place them right into that spot. So you're handling at a global level, at least in some regard. I know you can't account for every scenario. Sure. But at a global level, you're accounting for low-level fitness, maybe something in the middle, mm -hmm. and then like a high level. Yeah. But essentially, it's the same exercise, 6 to 12 degrees separated, however yep. you want to look at that. Is that... What yeah, absolutely. Saying? I mean, all our workouts, basically we have three levels, what we call it kind of power with strength, stability. Most times or not, people are going to end up in the middle, right? Sure. Or lean more towards stability, honestly. I mean, we all like to think we all have strength and awesome <laughs> clients that are super strong. Those are unicorns. Okay. Yep. But we do have something for them, which is nice. We can challenge that CrossFit athlete that comes in. We can still give them that, but we are really good at that lower level client that may be uncomfortable and feels like they can't work out based on the, just how they feel or past experiences. And that's the gap in the market that we keep speaking to. There's mm -hmm. really no home for those folks, right? Everyone else is chasing people that already like to work out that are already really fit. And then there's something to be said for sizzle and coolness and relevant, you know, being relevant. But at the same time, where do the folks go that are a little bit longer in the tooth that are a little bit beat up? There's a massive market opportunity there in this sort of active aging that we talk about. And so that's, I think, what we, I would agree with you. I think that's what we do really well. Now, people are going to hear this and they're going to think, look, in these rules that you guys have, you know, essentially everyone's doing the same workout. And so that doesn't sound like personal training. So if we're all doing the same workout with these different levels, how do we make sure that the client perception is good? Does that make sense? Like, in other words, they feel like, there's customization within a template that's following the good programming rules. Sure. I mean, we are personal training and how we know we are. I mean, we're, I'm literally telling you exactly what you're going to be doing at no time. Are you showing a group of people at one shot? All right, guys, this is the exercises and showing regressions all at one point. It is always me telling you directly. This is the level, you know, this is your weight. And that's why it's personal training. The levels are built in, and that's why we kind of talk about, you know, we're either a system slash philosophy. All of our coaches will know how to regress and progress all the exercises. So even if the workout says your strength level and you should be doing, you know, on that level would be resisted push-ups, say. And, you know, obviously you're the coach. You can see it, and you adapt, and you make slight changes to make it so they can do that push-up. Maybe you just drop them to a halvesy push-up. So it's still personal training. It's, yes, the workout's templated out, and that's to give that consistent customer experience every time they know it. But as a coach, it's empowering you to be a better coach on the floor. I think it's a great point. I did, I'm glad you brought that up because we often hear like from owners that like, well, my coaches aren't going to like it because they're going to have to you know, run this play. And then like, that's not true. I mean, 
we wished everyone fit into three nice, neat categories, right? Mm-hmm. Beginner, intermediate, advanced, so to speak, but they don't. And the beauty of it is it's a shortcut for a coach. So if you're going to train six people at one time and make it feel like personal training, you're going to need some help. Believe me. And Absolutely. that massive shortcuts, what's going to get you there. So you've got these sort of buckets where you can start. And then once the thing kicks off, as you know, the crux move is when it begins, right? So, you know, you sort of like, you're not presenting it as a group workout that everyone's doing the same thing. You're approaching people personally on what they're doing within the workout. So it doesn't feel like everyone else is doing it. Believe me when I tell you, I've coached it long enough to know that the person that's doing elevated pushups, you know, against a box or something doesn't feel like they're doing the same workout as the person who's doing, you know, pushups on the floor with one arm or with a heavy sandbag on their back. It's completely different. And they don't see it as the same exercise. They don't know it's a 12 degree separated pushup, right? Right. They're not thinking in patterns. So I think that really does speak to the customer experience is the fact that you still have to be a coach. So even in a systematic approach, you still have to coach, you still have to learn progressions, regressions, and you still have the autonomy to get out there and make calls when let's face it, people are tired. They're dinged up because they, you know, maybe they planted some bushes in their lawn this weekend and their back is tweaked or there's a million and one reasons why people don't show up like in a perfect box. And even the same person's not going to show up as the same person every time. Right. Yeah. Been traveling holidays, feeling down and out stressed, didn't get any sleep. There's all these things that factor in that make you have to coach hard and understand how to change things on the fly. But as long as you're working within those rules and you know that, okay, this is a hip dominant movement, they can't do this one. Here's another one that they can do. As long as it fits into that category, I would say it doesn't matter, but it doesn't matter, right? You're following the rules. All right. So we got dynamic warm up, which fixes common movement discrepancies mm-hmm. that we see. Yep. Pillar strength, you know, hip mobility, T spine mobility, ankle mobility, that type of thing. Get yourself warmed up. That's important too. Nervous system, fascia, all that. Then we go into the four pillars, if you will. Right. And you said, uh, big rocks as well, which just means compound movements. Yep. Right. So basically what Matt's talking about with big rocks is even though you're in certain movement patterns, you don't want to fill up your workout with just small filler movements. We know that compound movements build more muscle. They burn more calories. It's more bang for your buck. So if you're going to get again, someone twice a week, you're going to want to stick with compound movements, which are movements that use lots of muscles. Push ups mm-hmm. a great example, deadlift, something like that. And then, so we hit our four pillars, push, pull, hip, knee. Yep. And then obviously there's core training. So Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what our philosophies are on core and how do you program that, especially at different levels? Um, Well, core, I mean, still has its levels, just like our regular strength patterns do. We do what's called anti-extension, anti-rotational core. Um, What does that even mean? Basically, we're resisting movement. Everything is built around resisting movement as opposed to, if you think about traditional core training, which is like crunches and sit-ups, which is flexing your spine. Okay. And um, you can speak to this better than where we got it from, but basically we're taking those people that are banged up, they have bad backs, tight T-spines, and we're going to more stabilize their core and teach them how to use those deeper abdominal muscles rather than putting people who are already in poor posture and making it worse by flexing their spines a lot. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. causing other, right. other <laughs> issues. So someone has been sitting all day, you wouldn't want to put them on the floor and then have their neck crane forward and have them no, nah, I mean, we're sitting for, what, for 12 hours, and then we're going to do that some more. <laughs> right. And, and, and again, going back to having people on their feet, what is the overall energy expenditure or the number of muscles involved in lying flat on your back on the floor? 
it's not very high. And I know the emotional connection to core is high for clients. So there's also a way to speak to clients around the exercises. You can speak sort of bro language, if you will, or, or babe language or whatever you want to call it around, hey, this is good for your love handles, or this is good for here, or six-pack, or beach, or... Babe language? I don't even know. I'm trying to think of a female version <laughs> bro language. I don't, bra, bro, bro. I don't, I don't I've never heard that. Yeah, I haven't either. I just made it up. So there you go. Now you have it. Now it's a thing. But a lot of this philosophy is obviously, we study Stuart McGill's work. And mm-hmm. for those of you guys that haven't heard of him, just look him up. And I think most people listening have, but he's the foremost, one of the foremost spinal performance experts in the world. And a few years ago, you know, a lot of people were paying attention to his research and he really just proved out that for active adults to do repeated spinal flexion is just not a good idea. It's some really interesting analogies about, you know, bending a credit card back and forth and what happens eventually it gets a crease, eventually it will crack. So certainly there are sports and situations you get in where you have to flex your spine, but it still doesn't mean that you have to do repeated spinal flexion to train for said sports. A good example would be the study done, I think it was for the army. So it's one of the armed forces where, you know, they have a sit-up test as a fitness test. I think they've gotten away from that just in recent years, which, you know, good on them because it's not great for you. But um, they had two groups and one trained by doing the actual movement, by doing sit-ups, and the other one's trained by doing planks. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, the plank group actually scored higher on the sit-up test when it came time than the sit-up group did. So there's some merit to the way that you make your core stronger and certainly the way that that crosses over into everyday life because your core really doesn't, it flexes and it should, you should be able to flex your spine. Now, do you want to flex it under load? No. Do you want to flex it repeatedly under load? No. Right. But it's still, yeah, if you're on the floor, do you want to be able to roll up in a ball? Of course, you know, that's useful, I guess, in some cases, if you're somebody's kicking your teeth in, you probably (laughs) want to ball up and cover your face or something. I don't know. But, uh, but more so the core's job is to stabilize the spine. You know, if you look at a sports analogy, like hitting a tennis ball or for you hitting a baseball, right? All that force starts from the ground, you know, travels up, it goes through your hips and your core really just ties the ground. If you think about it to your arms, which are tied to the bat, right? Mm -hmm. And all that has to be timed you're not creating that motion with your core. I mean, if you see somebody really hit a baseball, there's a lot of hip internal and external rotation front and lead, you know, leader or lagging leg, right? Depending same thing with golf swing. And so you need all that, but the core really isn't moving that much in someone who does it well, right? Moves enough, but it really is more stable. It ties all that energy together and delivers it to the hands. Same thing in a punch or, you know, tennis, hitting a tennis ball or anything like that. Well, think about that in the practical application for like a client. It's like, well, you know, if an older client trips going down the stairs and they uh, and they put a foot down and stab it into the ground, where do you think they're going to get the stability up through the chain, right? The core is going to like fire and lock the spine, ideally, right? When it needs to, the timing's got to be there and you can yep. teach that. And it's going to keep somebody from falling, perhaps, maybe, yep. right? So there's that side of it. So we just, we're still training core. You mentioned two patterns, anti-extension, anti-rotation. We're going to touch both of those in every workout? Yeah. So, I mean, first off, I mean, Clients wise, I mean, if you're talking to somebody, they ask, you know, where, where's our core? What's our core training? I mean, like where's the crunches or I want to do some, something for my, yeah, or just like, when am I going to work on my core? Cause people ask that. I mean, our training, functional training, I mean, everything's built around your core, right? So we're, we're using it the entire time. Is that how time. you would explain it to a client? Like if they ask, are you just like, yo, everything we do is for core? Well, yeah. Like everything where, you know, pushups. Was that basically like a moving plank? Is it not? It is. <laughs> I mean, so your core is worked all the time. And then every workout, we're going to do those two moves, anti-extension, anti-rotation. Anti-extension, you can think of that along the lines of planks, right? Resisting that kind of extension to floor. We have a million and one variations of that that range. We can range it all the way from super high level to people who can't even do the exercise or maybe the only person that good is probably Anthony or 
women's only right. yeah. <laughs> operator. And exactly. then all the way to the bottom where we, you know, say we do elevated pushups, we do elevated planks. I mean, we have something mm-hmm. for everybody. I mean, that anti rotation is resisting that, you know, rotation. Obviously, I mean, things you could say with that, uh, side planks, farmer's carries, those are great ones that we use all the time, very functional, like carry shit all the time, right? Yeah, not to get too technical, but farmer's carries are great. That was like Stuart McGill, who I mentioned earlier. That was his favorite core exercise is like a single arm farmer's carry. It's basically a moving side plank, if you think about it, right? Yeah. Loads on one side, it's trying to pull you laterally. You could say anti-lateral flexion, but what they found is most people that are struggling to maintain lateral flexion, they're going to fail in some type of rotation. They're going to turn into it, right? So it really is anti-rotation and a little bit of anti-lateral flexion, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. It's not as dead on as like a side plank because you have your dynamic, you're moving, which you could argue is certainly more functional. Right. Right. Than a side plank on the floor. They both work, but mm-hmm. one is more functional than the other. And I think it's important for people to hear, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, I've heard questions from coaches. It's like, well, you know, you're not working in those planes of motion. So let's say rotation is in the transverse plane, right? Which means you're rotating. Well, if you're resisting motion movement in that plane, you are working in that plane. So just because you're not doing Russian twist with your knees in the air with a heavy med ball, which I hate, by the way it doesn't mean that you're not doing anti-rotation. So if you think about an anti-rotational press where the, you know, the origin of the cable is say to my left and I'm standing, you know, broad, like uh, perpendicular to it, I push my arms out straight, right? That I am working in the transverse plane. So don't get it twisted that you're not working in that plane just because you're not moving in that plane. It's fighting. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like a uh, anti extension, like a plank. You're not moving, but you are working in that plane of motion, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's a real common question. So I just want to make sure before I forgot, I touched on that. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've been here for 10 years or more. God, I can't even remember now at no time. Right. We've never done crunches or sit-ups, you know, the typical core moves in this facility. I think three times out of those 10 years, somebody asked like where they're at, maybe in the whole time. Right. I mean, <laughs> so you're saying if you, if you know what you don't know, actually clients, like them anyway, so I'm right, right, saying right. it's not that big a sell. Right. So it's, we're not getting beat up all the time with clients saying, where's our abs, where's our abs, where's no. our abs. Yeah. And then, you know, hopefully people know it now. They don't get abs here. They get them in the kitchen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, another cliche. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Abs are made in the kitchen. Well, you know, was, uh, what did you say? Babes, babe, something. <laughs> it's bros, babes. I don't know. I'm probably going to get in trouble for that somehow. I don't even know what I'm doing, but something about that's not right. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, um, listen, those are really simple rules. So we've got a dynamic warm-up, which mm-hmm. accounts for common movement deficiencies in a modern sitting-centric society. Push-pull, hip-knee mm-hmm. have to be hit right, for time. balance every time. Now, what about injury? What if you have somebody that has, just again, as a side note, bust those rules. What if you have somebody that has no knee cartilage and maybe they're staving off a knee replacement surgery? Could you double down on hip-dominant and skip knee-dominant? Absolutely. I mean, that, that comes back again to the, you're talking about that template, you know, where people feel like they just have to stick to the script. It's like, in no way is that even possible because you are going to walk in <laughs> with somebody that can't use their knees. They literally like, we can't do any knee dominant moves because it hurts so bad. So, you know, as a coach, you're going to have to be able to negotiate around that, right? It doesn't say on the paper, well, this person can't do a knee dominant, so they're going to do this exercise. You have to know. So yeah, we would double down on hip and sub in another pattern. And you'd have to know, right? So maybe lunges are in hip dominant, right? And we had squats in the knee dominant. Well, got crap. If you can't do any knee dominant moves, you can't do either one of those. You might be subbing in two different things. So you still have to be a high level coach to do these things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, it's, there's rules, 
and we try to follow the rules. But as we know, like not everyone fits into these perfect boxes. So you're going to have to coach around it. Okay. So push, pull, hip knee, Mm -hmm. and then two core exercises. So essentially for each workout, there are six core movements that we're going to do. Not not literally core movements. There are six movement patterns, if you will, that we're working in that have to be hit for every workout. And then afterwards, we like to, for the customer experience and for the fact that it's kind of nice to give somebody a little blip as far as a bit of met training, we do metabolic finisher. So tell me what that's all about. I mean, it's a short, quick burst. It's usually around four to six minutes at the most. We use a lot of uh, you know, low impact kind of exercise, especially with this population where we use the bike, you know, squats, Bikes things like awesome. that. But it's usually some timed intervals. Could we say like 30 seconds of work, 30 seconds of rest. Occasionally we'll do a Tabata, but it's something to get their heart rate up, let them push it. Okay. Then we let them recover and do it again for that four to six minutes. Or sometimes we just use actual reps in that space, you know, battle ropes is another good one. Does a couple of things, right? So, you know, if gone hard enough, which, you know, could be a big if for some people, it will give them that afterburn effect, right? Or they're burning calories at a higher rate for 24, 48 hours. I think I have the numbers, right? And also it's going to give them that good hot and sweaty feeling after the workout, which, you know, we can say whatever we want about it. People are still going to want that. They want to get hot and sweaty. They want to feel like they did something. And that's really why we do it. Yeah. At a time when we're sort of against the popular message right now, which is heart rate, burn as many calories as you can in a certain amount of time. And we've spoken about this before. That's a huge mistake. That's not where we want to be. Mm-hmm. You want to think about the long-term benefits of your exercise, not how many calories am I going to burn in the next 30 minutes. It's so short-sighted. Right. But unfortunately, there are anchors for service and things out there. So that's prevalent right now. And there's a lot of wearables and Apple Watches and whatnot. They're going to like measure. The only thing they can measure is like calories, right? And so... Not a bad idea from a customer experience standpoint to let people leave the workout with the hardest part of the workout, right? Mm-hmm. It's simple. It's done at their level. Like you talked about it, short and sweet. We try to get them to go hard as hard as we can at their level. And then when they leave, you know, there's something to be said. You've probably heard this where a client might say on the way out the door, wow, I got my money's worth today. That was hard. And maybe the workout leading up to that was just more based on strength that day right? Maybe less reps and more weight. So we were kind of slowing them down focusing on form. And while we know that that's wildly beneficial, sometimes from a client perspective, there's that, you know, that sort of, uh, anxiety around getting hot and sweaty and move, move, move right? mm-hmm. sort of cardio mindset. And so letting them finish with something that gets high heart rate is a really good idea to leave somebody with a positive customer experience and a little bit of that. Hey, I got my money's worth today. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. All right. It's actually, it's so complex in so many ways, program design and movement, but in so many ways, it's simple at the Mm -hmm. same time. And I think our core value number five is keep it simple. I think the hardest part about what we do and what you do well is you take all these complex training ideals and, you know, core training and, and whatever the science shows us and then distill it down into something that can be delivered to everyday folks like myself that are 50 years old and working nine to five, whatever that is, and be delivered to them in a way that feels clean, simple, easy to understand, right? Doesn't make them feel bad, also challenges them. And that's really the hardest part. It's not necessarily going and getting all the science. It's distilling all of that down. I tell this every time I speak about program design, I talk about Bruce Lee. And when Bruce Lee first started martial arts, you know, he says, you know, when I first started, a punch was a punch and a kick was a kick. It was so simple. 
And then as I learned more, it got really complicated. There was angles, different styles of kicks, movement, distance, all these things that went into martial arts that made you good. And it complicated things. But once I became a, whatever it is, third degree black belt or whatever, once again, a punch mm. was a punch and a kick was a kick. So I would say that when you don't know better, it's pretty easy. When you learn a little bit, you go to a perform better seminar and you learn all these techniques, <laughs> some of which are very applicable, but some are not. And you have to really be careful to look through it through the lens of a client. You know, we're going to talk about tools in a minute, but some of the things just maybe aren't applicable in certain settings. Doesn't, sure. doesn't mean they won't work. Right. They're just not applicable in certain settings, right? And so what you end up finding is the more time that you learn, you end up being able to distill things better. And I think that's something you do really well is you take high level science and you kind of dumb it down, not for lack of better terms, and make it applicable to everyday people. And so as long as you're following those rules, yeah. it makes that a lot easier. Yeah, right? I mean, and you know, the system, the valuation, all that stuff we've kind of talked about, it helps us build consistency day in and day out. Right. We start, like you said, you start taking other things, you start diving down other rabbit holes. You're going to be all over the place with each client. And, you know, this person's doing a lot more stretching or this, you know, you, you can't do that. Right. right. And in the end, you're just going to end up either hurting somebody or they're going to leave because they are not getting that quality workout that they expect. Well, and we're not here to sling mud necessarily, but what are your thoughts on some of the, the other concepts out there that have scale that are just doing work out of the day and it really isn't scalable for different fitness levels. I mean, you've obviously part of your job as program designer is to be aware of everything that's in market and to look at everything and, and to look at it as a student, not a critic. And I think you do that well, right? You don't look at something and say, Oh, it's crap. You might go in the programming might be horrendous, but you enjoyed the customer experience. There was something about the way you were immediately greeted or the way the workout was explained or, or something like that. Right. But just from a programming standpoint, since that's what we're talking about right now, what are your thoughts on some of the boot camp type of businesses? That's one workout fits all. Yeah. I mean, it's just that one size fits all. And you're only going to get a small percentage of those people who show up. They're going to actually stick with it because, you know, they a enjoy it. B can actually take the workouts. They're not beating them up so bad that they, you know, they can barely walk the next day or they start activating their knees and their back. And then if we, you know, we're going to get into tools, but I mean, what we do a really good job as well is we, we look at the tools and stuff and there's somebody like, say you like doing a lot of barbell work. That's great but you can't force feed that on people. You have to do stuff that's not going to frustrate them, that they can comfortably do it and they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And it's probably good before we transition to tools. It's probably a good time to speak to how important it is an attribute as a coach to disassociate what you like personally from what your clients are getting. Everyone knows that maybe in the past, or, you know, coaches that are this way, where if a coach is a bodybuilder, as an example, Every client's training like a bodybuilder and eating like a bodybuilder. If a coach is a power lifter, all their clients are trying to do max deadlift. If a coach is a Spartan racer, people are doing that. If they're a functional guru, they're spending half their time with a thing in their neck, right? It's like, like we talked about earlier, but there's, you have to really be careful to, mm. even if your sport is bodybuilding or what have you, to disassociate that from what your clients need because they're not you. They don't even like it as much, right? They're there two days a week for maybe an hour. You're working out five, six days a week, willing to do perfect nutrition, tissue work, all the things that allow heavy barbell deadlifts to even be a possibility for someone of that. Right. You know, and in that age category, if they don't do all the things you do, it's hard enough, much less to be older and be able sure. to do that with integrity. So I would just ask any coach to challenge their notions of what they do personally 
and make sure that they look at it through the lens of the client and not themselves. Well, I you know, just say we do a really good job. We meet people where they are, right? As opposed to just like, oh, we're all doing this. You know, if we got somebody say you want to come in, you want to do, you know, work on barbells, you want to get stronger in pull-ups, you're probably pretty rare. That's easy enough. Put it in your notes. We work on that. Easy right. peasy. Most everybody else, you know, we're going to make sure they're comfortable. We're going to meet them at the level they want to be because let's be honest, everybody's perceived kind of how hard they're going is not the same, right? Right. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> they're over there having a conversation. You're over here dying. I mean, something <laughs> what's right. what gives. So right. that's just very important. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to deliver it at their level. And like you said, I mean, you mentioned a couple things there that I didn't even know that we did, which is really cool which is again, being able to apply like even specific goals. It's like, it's just patterns at the end of the day, it still fits into the rule scheme, right? Yeah. I mean, just for example, I mean, say you want to work on pull-ups, right? Pull-ups may not be programmed in every day, but in the notes, this client wants to work on pull-ups. We're going to do that on Monday. Easy peasy. So whatever the upper body pull would be, it'd be substituted for pull-ups. There you go. Piece of cake. Yeah. And, and that can be done. You guys think about it. We're working with six clients at a time and like three might be injured. One might be really advanced. One might be a beginner, but no injured. And one has specific goals. It can be done. Yeah. Now it takes some coaching acumen, but not a lot. You're just, as long as you understand the rules and you're just plugging and playing into patterns, it's really not that hard. Well, and just it, imagine, I, you know, I can't even imagine now trying to do all those things and create the programs every day, every hour, you know, <laughs> didn't have it right in front of you. I just, I don't even know how you do it. No, it speaks to if you're not using a program like an alloy that's providing it, that you'd spend some time on your program design leading up to your week, because once you get out there on the floor, right. And if you're trying to scale your personal training business and put more people you know, in front of coaches or yourself as an individual coach, you really need to understand these concepts and you can't do it on the fly. Yeah. If you do, it's not going to work well. So, yeah, yeah. Probably individuals can do it. That's only them. That's our, their business for sure. But business wise, right. Yeah, Imagine you, all your trainers doing that. Well, yeah, it'd be, it'd be crazy. You know, well, I've done it. I mean, I can tell you it's crazy. And it really makes the bond between the perceived value of the coach much higher, maybe than even than it should be. Meaning mm -hmm. if that coach leaves, it's the client has a perception that's the only coach that knows right. about their injuries. Well, if you're running an, a communication tool like we do, like an app where any coach can look at it and know exactly how to apply a workout to that person, it's not that the coaches are interchangeable from a personal level. But if someone decides to move out of town or do something different, we can plug and play someone who can run that play. And that's real important as a scalable model for a business owner, right? All right, cool. So those are the rules. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the tools. See the way we did that? I like to, I like to <laughs> run. Rules I wanted the third today. one. I couldn't write any rules, tools, and something. I couldn't come up with anything else. But all right, the tools themselves. So you're the person that gets a wacky amount of tools to review and look at. When I say that, you guys, because we have a decent reach in the industry – Equipment manufacturers will send us their things and just say, hey, try these. And we get some pretty interesting stuff. Some of it's great. Some maybe not as great. But Matt's the one that gets to talk to them and say, hey, your baby's not as cute as you think it is, which is a hard conversation. But what is our lens on like when you're looking at a piece of equipment, just give me some criteria that we're looking at for whether or not it'll work for this type of programming. A couple of things is it's first, it's got to be able to use it in a billion different ways. You gave a good example earlier with a glute ham machine, right? I mean, you can only do, I don't know, one or two things on there. It's huge. takes up a lot of space. So you need to be able to do 900 different things with it. Second, I mean, you got to look at it through a lens of a customer. You, if they're not going to be comfortable with it or it's awkward or they just feel weird, you know, using it, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> Even if you love it. Even if you love it. I mean, you know, I think it's just, it's got to be something that, you can easily coach, 
It can do a lot of different ways. You can regress it very quickly. Easy example is uh, TRX, right? Things great. We use it a lot. You can regress it just by literally moving your feet forward or backwards, changing. Two steps here, I mean, two is steps how easy there, yeah. is that? So right. things like that. That's kind of our lens, right? Another one I kind of mentioned was space. It can't be huge, right? We're doing functional training. We got six, twelve people on the floor at one time. It can't take up half your room. <laughs> well, and there's a you know you hate to say it, but there's a revenue formula around there, right? Like there yeah. are the more people you can put in there with a good customer experience. We've used the formula of seventy five square feet per person as a good formula mm-hmm. for that. I know if you're doing boxing or cycling where you can kind of really contain people's movement, it might certainly be less, but in a functional training model, not so much. You need to be able to move in space. And so if you have giant equipment everywhere, you can't really do that. And you used a great example. Like I like glute ham raises. I think it's a great exercise, but it's really big and it really only does a few things if even right. And so it's something that we wouldn't look at, not because we don't think it's a valuable exercise, right? It just doesn't fit the criteria of it does a bunch of different, you know, we can use it in a lot of different ways doesn't take up much space. It's easy to regress, right? I think the other term that we've used for that is self-limiting. Like, is it a self-limiting exercise? You know, like, so a barbell back squat, it's like, okay, we like barbells, but typically if someone's lifting a decent load with a barbell, like on a bench press or a back squat, they're going to need some attention, some coaching and spotting, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the ramifications of having that exercise not go well are not great. If you fail on a back squat, barbell squat, it's going to be bad. You're either going to get squished or you're going to drop it and bail and it's going to roll across the room and it's a small space. So you're going to run into people with it, right? Not a good idea. Same thing on the bench press, which means it's going to force you to be there to spot, which means there's five other people in the group that you're not going to be able to service, mm-hmm. right? So it's not self-limiting. So if you look at a squat as an example, you could alternatively do a single leg squat, which you can load the heck out of, by the way. It doesn't load your spine as much. And if you can't stand up, you just don't you just sit down (laughs) not so scary so um well let's talk about some tools that we do like you mentioned the suspension trainers right so we use trx we love it it does a million and one other things what are other tools that that we like i mean everybody's using them dumbbells kettlebells i mean million and one things you can do so we do like kettlebells absolutely certain certain things have you seen that uh (laughs) was that jp sears did that spoof video yeah he's like i like to do kettlebells because they make everything in my life better Everything's better with kettlebells. Just yeah, mostly kettlebells, though. <laughs> within that, within the tool, there is exercise selection, right? Yeah, so name some uh, kettlebell exercises that we like. Kettlebell easy exercises we can do. We can press with it. We can squat with it. We can deadlift with it. Things that you know we're, we've kind of learned over the years or could be way too hard to coach or things like kettlebell snatches. Even kettlebell cleans can get a bit hairy. And that's when we defer. We use more dumbbells for certain movements like that. Well, this is what goes back to what we talked about earlier, where don't use your own, mm-hmm. you know, lens on, on your, what you like for fitness for your clients. So in other words, if you're a kettlebell competitor or you really enjoy kettlebell snatches, great. You're really coordinated. Your, your neurological system is developed. You've practiced it. Mm-hmm. You don't mind going home with giant bruises on the back of your arm. Right. But if you have someone that's coming in two days a week, you know, is that the quickest way to get them to have them reach their goals? Remember the goal might just be fat loss or better movement, or better quality of life? Do you have to do an exercise? No. Right. It's like Olympic lifting. You know, it's like, okay, it's really technical. So should we be using Olympic lifting as, is it the best case scenario? I don't think so. It's a sport, right? So can we teach a kettlebell swing and get explosive movement for older adults? Yes. Is it safer to do that? Yes. Much easier than teaching a barbell clean. 
Right? Much easier. I'm not saying I don't like barbell cleans. I'm just saying in certain settings, it's not applicable. And certainly in an adult setting where you've got a couple of people working out, probably not. Certainly not in a group setting, which I know, you know, maybe I mean, if you're 22 years old, it group works. Group size, right? If you had a, lots of people, like you said, you can't spot them, can't watch them, certainly can't coach them and watch everybody else. And then just overall coaching level. I mean, there's a lot of different coaches, might be new coaches. You, how do you, can you expect that new coach to go there and teach a barbell power clean? Uh, to, right <laughs> to a new person right, right? So, and, and I mean, in heaven forbid you have to everyone that you hire has to be usaw olympic lifting right. you know, certified it's like well, good luck with that like that just really limits your talent sure. pool yeah i mean it's not to say we don't ever put that kind of stuff in because you know it's fun people do like using barbells but every time we always know just like look first off if you're a coach you're not comfortable you don't have that knowledge don't you're not even doing this right we already have a regression built in don't even go there, right? The same thing here. Do you think that like programming that in that just appeases like that top, like what percentage of people do you think can do those high level moves from the general pop clients that we service? If you had to guess. What percentage? I mean, it's pretty low. I mean, you're looking to maybe three to 5%. Okay. So it's honest. I mean, it's pretty low. It depends do we, what do you program doing it that way then. I mean, does it only make it into the program? It's usually that often? only on power level and it's pretty rare. Okay. Got it. So it doesn't make it in there much because there's not a lot of people that can do it. No. Right. And it's not to say, I mean, if we program, say we have a deadlift program and it might be, you know, straight up kettlebell deadlift. If I got somebody, you know, like yourself and you can handle the bar, we'll get the bar set up. But it has to fit your surroundings, your environment and your coaching level. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's okay. Just an exercise at the end of the day, right? It's a hip hinge. Right. You can do it on the floor on your back or you can do it with a heavy deadlift or a swing or whatever. Don't mess with that. We'll go to a single leg deadlift. You know what I mean? Yeah, pretty, it, pretty it is. Fix. I mean, you're talking about like stable to unstable, like, you know, bilateral, unilateral. There's so many ways this can go. And that's where you guys, it can get really confusing. But if you just keep it simple, right? If you just look at everything through the lens of like distilling it down so that it works and you're meeting all these patterns, you'll start to find a groove for it over mm-hmm. time. So I know for you, it's like, you know, second language or it's just super easy to sit down and pop out programs because you know how the flow is going to look and this one's going to be unilateral. So this, you know, hip dominance unilateral, so the knee dominance bilateral and the way to piece all that together. But uh, we just ask anybody that's listening to build your buckets, right? Come up with your rules, figure out which tools are going to work, you know, at scale that you can coach that are self-limiting and then just start to build a library, if you will, even if it's just a mental library of how things work and where things fit into the mix. And then just discuss as a team how you're going to progress or regress these exercises. And then imagine every time you come in and somebody knows how to change you, that person to the right level or what they need to be at every time. That's pretty cool. And, you know, Matt was a big part of, you were a big part of building our communication system. So we have an app where you can imagine coaches come in, they grab the app and it tells them how to apply the programs to the clients. So it will say something like wants to get stronger in pull-ups. So we know that upper body pull is going to be pull-ups for that person every Monday, whatever that may be, or has a you know bad knees. So we're going to double down on hip and not do knee dominant movements for this person. So you do need a communication tool from whoever's doing, we call it the director of training or the manager, essentially at this point, who's doing the initial fitness evaluation. Mm-hmm communicate whatever needs to go down with the coaches. So whoever schedule they end up on can pick up that app and run with it. And then also from coach to coach, because if somebody, if a coach leaves or if a client bounces schedules from morning to evening at times, whatever that is, they're not always working with the same coach. And so we need the whole team to be up to speed. So we started that with just a word document. So I would just tell you guys, you know, that are listening, if you don't have an app and if you're not alloy licensee or franchisee, 
then start with something. Just keep notes so that your trainers can, you can scale your business by having everyone provide the same customer experience around the programming, mm-hmm. right? But again, as long as you're following the rules, as long as you're picking your tools based on the criteria that we talked about, about today, you should be fine. And that's still high level. I mean, we could go deep dive on almost any of these things. We could spend you know, 30, 45 minutes just talking about core training only. But I think for the purposes of a business podcast, it might get a little bit, might get a little crazy. Sure. What do you think? No, I think we're good. Is that it? You got anything else for me? No, man. I think we covered it. Awesome. All right, guys. We'll appreciate it. And uh, I hope you got something out of it, Matt. It was fun to flip the script a little bit and let you do some more talking. I think you, <laughs> you certainly do a better job than I do. That was so. just a comedic relief, but that was okay. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Your role, you, you've gotten a promotion. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're 50-50. Yeah. So. All right, guys. I hope that helps. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast. If you have any questions for the host or are interested in learning more about running a successful personal training business of your own, please reach out and say hello. Connect with us at www.alloypersonaltraining.com and sign up for our free newsletter to receive additional resources.